Okay, Shalom Aleichem, good evening, Afrelech and Purim, if you're on with us live. This is the night coming out of Purim, this is the Purim meal time, and I'm sure most of you are watching this on replay for understandable reasons. Um, we're going to have a double episode tonight. Remember, these are 30 letters that we're learning over the course of the 30 days before Yud Aleph Nissen, the Rebbe's birthday. And in order to have 30 days worth of learning, we have to make up for the Shabbos class. So just like in the desert, when the mon, when the bread from heaven was coming from heaven to feed B'nai Yisrael, and they could not gather it on Shabbos, so they were given a double portion on Erev Shabbos, so we're going to do a double portion on Erev Shabbos, a Lechem Mishnah, if you will. So tonight, <clears throat> we're going to have two letters, and this is going to be an hour-long class, 30 minutes and 30 minutes. I don't know if it'll be exactly divided like that, but that's the basic idea. Um, I also want to mention that, you know, everything is Hashkoch pratis. Hashem runs the world down to the most microscopic detail. And... Sometimes we get to see it. <laughs> Sometimes we get a glimpse of it. And this was not planned at all, but I found in both of these letters connections to Purim that I myself am aware of. There may be others that I'm not aware of, <laughs> but I caught a couple that I am even aware of, and that is something that couldn't be planned, and it wasn't planned, and it just reminds us that everything is Ashkohapratis. Okay, tonight our first letter is letter number five, and uh, this letter was written to somebody who I actually knew and revered as a mentor and as a leader, as a role model, and pretty much all good things you can say about a person, and you're going to find out who this is. Baruch Hashem Tes Marcheshven Tovshin Tes Vav Brooklyn. This letter was written on the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Marcheshven. So now we're getting, remember, our letters started during Aseh Shmei during the Days of Awe, and then we had letters that were written just right after the high holiday season. Now we're getting farther from the high holiday season. We're in the middle, about toward the middle of the month of Marcheshven. Okay. Shalom Uvracha, greetings and blessings. And, uh, well, I'm sorry, that is the second letter. This is Ches Marcheshven. Baruch Hashem, Ches Marcheshven, Tavshin Tesvav, Brooklyn. Yeah. Horav HaChosid, Ish Yerei Alekim, Nichbud V'Naila, Oisik B'Tzorchei Tzibur, Mereinu Horav Tzvi Shiyichya. To the... The, the chosid, the God-fearing one, the honorable, the exalted, the one who is occupied in communal service, our Rabbi Tzvi, may he live. This is referring to Rabbi Tzvi, or as I knew him being referred to more commonly as uh, Herschel, not that we called him that, but we called him Rabbi Shusterman. And Rabbi Herschel Shusterman, all of a shalom, was an incredible rav, a Talmud Chacham, a Paisik, a leader, a shliach, and uh, 
there's <laughs> an, an, there's no limit to what could be said about such a great man, and I had the honor to know him personally. He was the Rav in Chicago for many, many decades before I was born. Uh, he came actually to Chicago as a shliach of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, in 1947. And he assumed leadership of B'nai Ruvain, the congregation which is the, the main congregation for Chabad, for Anash in Chicago. He became the rabbi of B'nai Ruven in 1959, so uh, 12 years after he first came to Chicago. This letter, of course, is 1955, so this is before he went to, to B'nai Ruven, and he was the rabbi of a different congregation, which uh, I'm not sure the name of, and I'm not sure if it exists even anymore. Um, I'll tell you something very interesting. I once asked a Shiloh, of Rabbi Shusterman. And what was the Shaila? <laughs> My parents, may they be well, took a trip to Eretz right after they got married. And they bought a Megillah, a, uh, an antique. I stress the word antique Megillah. It was not in great shape. And it was more understood to be an heirloom or a keepsake, not something that we actually used for Purim, for following in the Megillah, because it was missing letters, it was missing words, it, was, uh, it wasn't in great shape. At any rate, at one point, <clears throat> I, uh, I think I had actually been learning the Gemara Megillah, where it spoke about the leniencies of a Megillah over the leniencies of a Sefer Torah, and... It occurred to me, I don't know, I mean, I know it's not in great shape, but maybe, because it's a Megillah, it's not a Sefer Torah, it's, there are different laws, maybe it's okay, maybe it's usable. And so I went, I think it was between Mincha and Maidav at B'nai Ruven, and I went to Rabbi Shusterman, and I showed him my parents' Megillah that they bought in Eretz this antique Megillah that no one had used for uh, Purim, uh, at least not since we had it. And he un scrolled, he un unraveled the scroll, <clears throat> he looked it over for a couple of minutes, and he said, kosher. That's all he had to say. <laughs> he was a man of few words, very succinct. But when Rabbi Shusterman said, kosher, that's all you needed to hear, kosher. <laughs> I could say so much more about him, but anyways, <clears throat> I thought that was pretty marvelous, that the Shiloh that I asked him was about a poor Megillah and here it is, Bashkacha Pratis, Hashem runs the world. Tonight is Purim. Okay, Shalom Avracha, greetings and blessings. Le'achrei hashsiko haruka, after the long silence. Noam Lee, it was pleasing to me, pleasant to me, Le'kabo Mechtove, to get your letter, Memotze Shabbos Kedish, from coming out of Shabbos, the, the Saturday night, the night coming out of Shabbos. It's interesting that <laughs> that ever received so much mail. And, you know, I get emails and emails, and I can't keep up with them. And it's like, oh, no, another. Now my inbox is up to 10,000 unread mails, uh, emails. And, 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 and the Rebbe was receiving correspondences from all over the world constantly, all the time. And the Rebbe was so busy with so much. I mean, the Rebbe was constantly learning 
Rebbe was learning all day, plus all of the, 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 the involvement that Rebbe was managing Lubavitch and everything that was going on in the world and engineering the, the, the entire movement of Chabad. And you would think somebody in that position would actually be happy if people would give him a rest and not write so often. And yet you find in the Igras so often that the Rebbe will say, Hey, a long time no speak. I haven't heard from heard from you for a while. It's so nice that you wrote again. In fact, in some letters, and I think we have some letters coming up where the Rebbe will say, I was disappointed that I didn't hear from you for so long, and from now on, you better write more often. Just to me, that that itself is, is mind-blowing. At any rate, so the Rebbe says, after the long silence, it was nice to get a letter from you again. From uh, your letter from Matzah Shabbos, Boy Kaisev. Now, in this letter you wrote... How you set the things up in the Talmud Torah. That's like uh, Hebrew school, like uh, after school. That was very common, by the way, in those, to- in those times, in the 1950s. Even fairly religious children didn't necessarily go to Jewish day schools. And they would maybe go to a public school, and then they would have a Talmud Torah afterwards. So apparently Rabbi Shusterman was running... Uh, that type of an institution or something like that. So the Rebbe says, I was very happy to hear how you set up things in the Talmud Torah. And how you set up the different classes. Very strong language. I really, really enjoyed. Double really. I really, really enjoyed. How you came up with many aspects of Friendly competition. <laughs> That's my loose translation. Kinnus Sofram literally means competition between sages. It's actually, it's a, it's a Gemara Bava Basra, Daf Chofalaf Omar Aleph, that's speaking about whether or not a, uh, a cheder can hire another Malamed, or parents, I guess, who are educating their children, can hire another Malamed, whether that's uh, unfair to the original Malamed. It says, no, it's good, because when it comes to Torah study, kina sofrim, the competition, sofrim means of, uh, of scholars, Torah scholars, tar bechochma, kina sofrim, competition between scholars, tar bechochma, it increases wisdom. So I guess like you say in a free market economy, in capitalism, right, competition is good for the consumers. So in Torah scholarship, a little bit of competition is good for the amount of uh, Torah knowledge and wisdom that there's going to be in the world. So the Rebbe says here, I'm happy to hear, I really, really enjoyed uh, hearing how you came up with some uh, competitive aspects of the classroom in the Talmud Torah. We're going to hear a little bit about what that means uh, in, a, in a moment, but the Rebbe continues, Yisrael. <laughs> that this for sure, this certainly is going to arouse and bring out the inner spiritual potential that every single Jew has inside. And I just want to comment here. Again, I think we had something similar in a previous letter where the Rebbe was used an expression, toiv shebenafshom. He was telling that woman to, to influence her surroundings and to reveal the toiv shebenafshom, the good that's in inside in the in the souls of the people that she's influencing and again here that i'm saying a similar concept that the, the competition is merely a catalyst to release something that's already there and that's just you know one of the main ideas in the rebbe's Torah is always the idea that deep down 
every Jew already has spiritual greatness and they want the right things. And there just has to be something that jiggles it loose and, and, and brings it out. And if it's kinesophim, if it's a little competition, then you use competition, whatever it is, but we got to release that, that latent potential that's within. Okay. She is galubepoil, that it should come out in actuality. Shouldn't just be potential, it should be actual. And then <laughs> when it comes out, it should then affect their day-to-day -day lives. In other words, it shouldn't be a one-off. It shouldn't be just one time they bring out their potential, but it should be something that then has a continual effect on them in their day-to-day -day lives. And in continuation or in, in connection to this idea, it was very good, your idea, to give them their own minion, to set up a, a little a little shul for the kids. Why? Why does the Rebbe like that? Junior minion, I think they call it. Because then the kids can pick their own shul officers, like a gabai, the one who calls people up for aliyahs, or a shamish, you know, the one who sets up the chairs and puts out the tablecloths or whatever it is. When you have positions of responsibility, that's very, very good. You know, just parenthetically, I was once uh, invited to be the scholar-in-residence for a weekend, a very special weekend, with the C-Teen Leadership. There's a special, you know, C-Teen is a very large uh, group or uh, conglomeration of groups, of youth groups, run by shluchim all over the world. And they have a Shabbaton once, in, uh, once a year in Crown Heights for all of the, the members, all of the teens who are part of C-Teen. But then in the summertime, they have something called the Leadership, I think they call it Leadership Summit. And anyway, those are the heads of each chapter. And they come together, and these are really motivated kids, highly, uh, highly involved in their, in, their, in their Jewish growth. And... These are the kids who are the leaders, and they get together and they have this this summit. So I was uh, one weekend I was with them. I think it was out in the Poconos Mountains at the Bushkill Resort, and we had a a meeting together. And I was like the I don't know facilitator, and we we're speaking about recruitment tactics. And you know, I don't know what how to recruit. I mean, I never took classes in, in recruitment, but I picked up something from the Rebbe's style, and that is. That if you tell someone, you really need to come to this thing. It's really important for you to come to it. You really need to come to it. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Okay, people are busy. They got a lot of things to do. You're telling them just one more thing that might be good for them to do. They'll add it to the list. Maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. But instead, if you don't tell them, you really need to come to this. If you say, we really need you here. You're important. You have an official title. <laughs> you, you're, you're the Gabai. You're the Shamash. You're the one who sets up the, the drinks. You're the one who posts on social media after, after the meeting. When you give them a job, instead of saying, you need to be here, but rather you say, we need you to be here, all of a sudden people are like, I can't miss this. I have an obligation. I have a commitment. And I was talking about that with the, with the C-teens, and they were all marveling at that. They were, they were saying, absolutely, anyone that we tried to beg to come or bribe to come, it doesn't work. But if you give them a job, <laughs> if you give them a duty, a role, then they'll be there forever.
And it could be the simplest job, just be, you know, setting up the chairs. But that's how you get people. And so the Rebbe is saying here to Rebbe Shostamin, I love how you set it up that the kids should have their, their little titles and their, their jobs. Okay. Vahare Yedua. It is known. Ad kama hanoyesh ba'artes habris lohut achrei sidurim she'esh lahem oifin shel team. And the Rebbe actually uses the word team in English. He writes it in transliterated Hebrew first, and then in English, team. It's known how much American youth love things that have to do with teams. This is also an interesting thing. The Rebbe always tapped into the zeitgeist. Whatever, whatever the culture was, whether it's American culture or it's Israeli culture or French culture, and the Rebbe spoke about these things. You tap into the culture and you wield the culture. You use it as a tool to further Judaism. So the Rebbe is saying, in America, people are into their teams. That's what they like. So great, you tapped into that. Ubemela yeshloi, leader. And since there's a team, there has to be a leader. And the Rebbe writes it in, in Yiddish letters, or Hebrew letters, but Yiddish uh, orthography. But the word is an English word, leader. Or the Rebbe writes, captain, which is a captain. V'chulu v'chulu, et cetera, et cetera. So the Rebbe likes that, giving children leadership positions. This is a great way to motivate them. I also liked your, uh, your outline. The things that you were learning with the adults. So Rabbi Shusterman was both a youth rabbi and, adult, and a, a regular adult rabbi. So he wrote about what he's doing in the Talmud Torah, with the children, he also wrote his outline about what he's doing with the adults. That you called upon them to become windows to Judaism. I really tried to find out what this is, windows to Judaism. Uh, it sounds like maybe that was a program, that was the name of the program, windows to Judaism. Um, I didn't find anything about it, but... Apparently, that's a term that Rabbi Shustman used in his letter, and the Rebbe liked it. So the Rebbe says, I like with the adults how you uh, are calling upon them to be windows to Judaism. Surely you also saw hamaimorim, the, I would translate that as articles in this case, about prayer, articles about prayer, the halokim shalahem shenid pasu, talks the tales that were published in the talks and tales. Okay, I have to explain talks and tales. Talks and tales was a twelve-page magazine that started coming out from Lubavitch right after the Rebbe came to America, and the Rebbe was extremely involved in the talks and tales from its inception and through all of the years. The first issue that came out was Hanukkah of 1942, and it ran until the month of Nisan, that's the month of next month, the month of Passover, 1989. Okay, so you're talking about something that was going for almost 50 years. The main author was Rabbi Nissen Mindel, who was also a member of the Secretariat, and who was also one who was involved in the Rebbe's letters, would take dictation from the Rebbe, when the Rebbe would write letters. Um, and this Talks and Tales was extremely precious to the Rebbe. 
uh, it was a tool for spreading Judaism well beyond the Lubavitch community. That was the intention of it. Uh, in fact, in 1979, Rabbi Chadokov, the Rebbe's chief secretary, wrote a letter to the Shluchim. How many Shluchim were at that time? I'm not sure, but <laughs> nothing like the Kinnis photos that you see today with thousands of Shluchim. So how, however many Shluchim there were in 1979, Rabbi Chadokov wrote to them and reminded them that part of their contract as Shluchim is to recruit subscribers to the talks and tales. Okay, so this was no joke. Um, the Rebbe used to bring every issue of Talks and Tales to the oil. The Rebbe would bring the Talks and Tales to the oil, to the resting place of his father-in-law, of his Rebbe. Um, I should also tell you something, a little bit of interesting uh, trivia, but there's something called a postal permit, or a non-profit postal permit. And if you have a non-profit magazine that's a monthly magazine, you, you can send it out 12 times a year. Well, as you know, like from this year, sometimes there are 13 months in a Jewish year <laughs> when you have a Jewish leap year. So they only had a permit to send out the talks and tells 12 times. And I heard from uh, Rabbi Krinsky once that they actually fought the federal government, uh, the post office, and said, yeah, but we have 13 months this year. And they won. <laughs> Lubavitch won that, won that argument, and they uh, let them send out the talks and tales 13 times a month during Jewish leap years. So at any rate, the talks and tales was very precious to the Rebbe. Now, there were different sections of talks and tales. Um, the Gallery of the Great, which are incredible biographies of Jewish leaders from, from the times of all the way back to the Temple times through the times of the Mishnah and the Talmud and up to the, the medieval sages. It's an incredible work, the Gallery of Our Great. I, I, I enjoy it personally. Uh, there's In Nature's Wonderland, which is teaching children about the greatness of Hashem's creation. Some people compare it to Ranger Rick. It's a, like a nature magazine. Um, then there was the stories, and they compiled all the stories into, I think it's five volumes of books called The Storyteller. The Storyteller, those stories are the stories that were in Talks and Tales. And then there was another section. There were many more sections, but then there was one more section of Talks and Tales called My Prayer, which is uh, the translation. It's based on the words Vanis Filosi. King David in Psalms says, as for me, my prayer. So uh, Nissen Mandel was writing these articles called My Prayer. It was a serial in every issue of Talks and Tales. And later on, it became a book called My Prayer, volumes one and two. So the Rebbe is referring to this in 1955 and telling Rabbi Schusterman, I hope that you saw the articles on prayer that are in the Talks and Tales. I should also mention that the Rebbe would review the Talks and Tales. I, I don't know if this is 100% an accurate statement, but I believe it's safe to say, maybe someone can correct me, that as far as publications that we know the Rebbe personally edited and reviewed, I think it could only be said for the Rebbe's Maimorim, for the Lukut for the Lubavitch News Service press releases, those were edited by the Rebbe, and Talks and Tales. I'm not sure there was anything else that was regularly, as part of the workflow, reviewed, edited, and approved by the Rebbe. Talks and Tales was. Okay, 
So Rebbe tells Rabbi Shusterman, I hope you use the Talks and Tales articles in your, your classes with the adults. And here the Rebbe says, Af Even though it's written for children. It's a children's magazine, but it's wonderfully written. And I, I, I challenge any adult to read it and say that it's, it's too childish to enjoy it's written in such a beautiful way that children can appreciate it and adults as well. So the Rebbe is encouraging Rabbi Shusterman, use those My Prayer articles from Talks and Tales for your talks with the adults. It was written for children. But the main point and the foundation of these articles is true. So truth is truth. And certainly this will bring out benefit in your lectures. That you'll use the talks and tales as material for your lectures to the adults. Now I wrote to you in a previous letter. That uh, although you shouldn't necessarily highlight this, I think in 2022 this is what we call meta. This is like... You don't necessarily have to say it explicitly. But it should be a hidden objective. What is this that I was saying, Terebe Shusterman? You don't have to say it clearly, but it should be implied. It should be, you should have in mind, and it is, that every meeting, anytime you encounter someone, one-on-one or one to a group, or any lecture when you're getting up to speak. It has to increase some type of awareness and, and alacrity on the part of the listeners in doing practical mitzvahs in their day-to-day lives. So you don't have to say it explicitly. You don't have to hit them over the head with it. You don't have to be heavy-handed. But every time you meet someone, you speak to them, and any time you give a lecture and you're speaking to a group, there has to be some intention that there has to be a a bottom line that's practical and applicable to -to day-to-day observance. It's interesting. There's a similar story, and it took place 10 years after this, in 1965. Rav Chaim Gutnik, Rav Shliach in Australia, told the Rebbe that he is sought out as a speaker in Australia. Everybody comes to hear his lectures, and they laugh, and they cry, but he's not sure he's accomplishing anything with it. You know, it's kosher entertainment, big deal. Like, he wants to actually affect people. So Chaim Gutnik asked the Rebbe, like, for public speaking tips. And the Rebbe said, you, you always have to have some type of a maisa some type of follow-through that's an action. And uh, so after that, Rabbi Gutnick went back to Australia and he was giving a lecture and he was talking about Shabbos. And so he mentioned, he said, let me make it very practical. Uh, Shabbos, you're not allowed to light a flame. So I'm not telling you don't light a flame, but how about you don't smoke on Shabbos? Your doctor will thank you and your rabbi, I will thank you. And uh, so he he did that as just a a way of giving some type of an actionable um, conclusion for his speech. At any rate, next Shabbos, he sees this Holocaust survivor who never came to shul on Shabbos. He didn't think that much of it, but he noticed. He saw him a second week, and he saw him a third week. Finally, Rabbi Gutnick came over, and he asked, you know, how do, why you become a shul regular? He says, you know, Rabbi, I heard you speaking. I forget where 
he was speaking. It wasn't on Shabbos because this guy never came on Shabbos. But uh, he says, I heard you speaking and you spoke about like uh, on Shabbos, why don't you try not smoking? So I went to the office on Shabbos because the guy worked on Shabbos. And I was about to take out my cigarettes. I was like, you know what? The rabbi said, try not to smoke on Shabbos. So I, 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 I put away the cigarettes and I'm not going to smoke on Shabbos. And then after I did that, I thought, well, if I'm not going to smoke on Shabbos, what am I doing in the office? So I came to shul and I did it. I did it three weeks ago. I did it last week and I'm, I'm doing it now this week. So uh, you see the power of giving something very practical and actionable in a speech. And that's what the Rebbe is telling Rabbi Shusterman here. And uh, the Rebbe says in very strong words, ki saif saif, because ultimately at the end of it all, this is Shleimah Melech's words. This is the entire purpose of a person. What? Action. Bottom line. And especially, this is brought out in Chesidus, that, that says, what does it say in Chesidus? That the deepest or most lofty intellectual idea, has to come to a Therefore, literally it means therefore, but it means a no, so what are you going to do about it? And uh, by the way, that's an idea that is enumerated or uh, elaborated upon in very deep ways in Kuntras and Yonah Shalteris where the Rebbe speaks about the deepest, deepest truth has to come down into practical action. And therefore has to be some type of a practical thing, something that's action. And it's surely superfluous to elaborate any further on this. This is a simple thing. I'm sure you understand it. I'm not going to say any more. And I'm sure you will find a diplomatic way, if necessary, meaning if it's not necessary, and don't worry about it. But if necessary, I'm sure you'll find a diplomatic way. That the audience shouldn't pick up on it, that that is your point in every single lecture. Yes, it should always be with a practical takeaway, but you'll find a diplomatic way, a clever way to smooth it over that the audience shouldn't feel like, oh, here he goes again with the practical stuff. You know, be smooth, be subtle, but make sure it's there. With blessings for success in all of the above. And that is the end of letter number five.